Well, we are on the back end of this sermon series we've been walking through on uh, Vineyard Values. And uh, this is a really interesting sermon this morning that um, I've been wanting to preach for years. And I think I've like subtly preached it like by accident a couple of times already, but not this Thoro. So um, I was looking through my notes, couldn't figure out if I have or not. So um, the, the, the value that we're looking at this morning is the phrase, um, everybody gets to play, okay? And um, really it comes from scriptures, like when, when, when the apostle Peter says, that, you know, the church doesn't just have a priest or a pastor, like we're all priests. This has been given to all of us. We all have a role to play here in God's work in this world. And the founder of the Vineyards, his name was John Wimber. Some of you, you know, uh, are, know who he was. He passed away some years ago, but uh, he said, what I want to see in the church in action is the message, the music, and the ministry, taking the hype out of ministry where everybody gets to play. Because the reality is this, the church is not an institution um, that only the professionals get to take part in. When Jesus walked this earth, he didn't look to the highly trained people that were the great orators and were the people chock full of charisma, but rather he went to Everybody. Fishermen, farmers, government workers, soldiers, mothers, blue-collar workers, um, judges, religious leaders, lawyers, children, widows. When all these people chose, they accepted the call to follow Jesus, they found themselves playing a part in God's grand plan of redemption that began all the way back at the beginning of our Bibles. And when Jesus came announcing the good news that the kingdom of God has appeared, that he paid for our sins, that he's offered us cleansing, forgiveness, and a hope of new life with God, we get to join in spreading that good news today. We have to remember that Christianity at its core is a message for people. The church is people, not a building, not an institution. And our message is news that needs to be shared. Um... So, Christianity has been the most, I, uh, I'm sure it's a debatable statement, but if you look at the, the influence that Christianity has had globally, there's been really nothing like it in world history. And the most amazing thing is, if you ask the question, who, who did God choose to, to build the church on the backs of? Like, who did he pick out, right? It was... Not the Elon Musks or Steve Jobs of the world, those people who could do that, right? It was these 12 men that he chose. And Jesus himself is kind of the example of being an ordinary person in the sense of he was a carpenter, which probably included some stoneworking as well. Um, And those regular fishermen and tradesmen, and those are the people that he gathered around them. And so um, as the good news spread in the ancient world, people from all classes of the Roman society, from the higher escalons all the way down to the Joe Schmoes at the very bottom, and even farther down to the blind beggars on the street corner, they were all called and participating in meeting together. And so what I want to look at is, um, you know, it's easy to think that, um, you know, the, the church was really primarily bit, built on the backs of the apostles, right? Peter, James, John, you know, Paul, which is true. They wrote a lot of our New Testament, right? And, um, uh, but the reality is there, there's those people, uh, they were important, 
But there was a lot more of the regular church folk, if you want to call them that, that were spread about for the ancient Roman Empire, that were the real harbingers of Christianity, that were the real vessels that these men and uh, leaders called and trained up and sent out. And they were the ones that the church was really built on because there's so many more of them. And we don't often get like a lot of the glimpses into their lives in the New Testament. But there's one chapter at the end of Romans 16 where we get a whole slew of names of people that almost guaranteed you never heard a sermon preached about. I certainly haven't, right? I've heard names, see some of these names mentioned. And I try to craft a sermon out of this. I hope it makes sense because these are going to be the people we're looking at that are like the normal Joe Schmoes that had normal roles. Some extraordinary roles, some really mundane but important roles that just uh, uh, characterize these churches that God used in mighty and tremendous ways. Um, And the call as we do this at the end of Romans is, I want you guys to see yourself in these names. When we read these names, it's going to be ancient Greek names and Latin names, and, you know, we won't see Bob or George or anything. But think, Susan, Bob, George, whatever, some modernized name like these, the names we're looking at, they, they were the people that God used to do amazing, extraordinary, and very ordinary things that literally changed this world and it flipped it upside down for Jesus. Um, I, it's kind of like this when we look into Romans 16 this morning. Um, I, I don't think it's very morbid or something, but I really like old cemeteries. Anybody like walking around old cemeteries? Yeah, okay, good. I'm not, I'm not weird. Or maybe we're all weird. I don't know. But my, my children, they do Boy Scouts at um, Red Clay Presbyterian. We know it's a really old church around here. And they have graves of people who died even before the American Revolution, right? It's just so old. And I love just pacing back and forth, trying to decipher the names on those graves. And sometimes, you know, I think there was one of the old, old pastors there has a pretty big, long epitaph on there. But most of the graves have just a name. Maybe it says father, mother, grandfather, something basic. And there's two dates and there's a dash, right? And that's all we have. They were part of that church centuries ago. There's a lot of people in that graveyard. And my mind always goes towards like, what was their story, right? What did God use them for? Yeah, the, Billy Graham is not buried there. You know, Mother Teresa, these, these big names. But these people had a role to play and God used them. And in heaven, guaranteed, their story is well-known and it's celebrated and it's, and it's earned them rewards and they're seeing God himself face-to-face. But what were their roles here? What did they do? What, how did God use them here? I just imagine just all the amazing, ordinary ways that those men and women touched people for Jesus. And I want to talk about that this morning. Um, if you have your Pew Bibles, you can turn to Romans 16 in the New Testament. I don't have a Red Pew Bible. Do I have one? I do not. I cannot tell you the page number. It's um, 1126. Thank you, Mark. 1126 in the Red Pew Bible. So we're going to look at this. We're going to see some ordinary Christians doing ordinary things. When I say ordinary, we need to probably transform that word to what we often perceive as ordinary is really extraordinary if we look at it from God's perspective. So some context here, because we're jumping to the last chapter of a book. This was the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church in Rome, and this was the capital of the Roman Empire. 
This was the home of Caesar, the most important city in the world at the time. Paul had never been there yet, but because the Christian church at this time was pretty small and deeply relational, um, he had personally met a lot of these people who were now in Rome. Um, for many reasons, they had to leave Rome and came back. Um, and he's met some people elsewhere in his travels who were now in Rome. He's also heard of some of the, the work that the Christians were doing in Rome. And it's kind of the stories had scattered. And he wanted to encourage them and address them. And so keep in mind that the church in these days were mostly smaller groups of men and women meeting in people's homes. According to this list of names we're going to read here, uh, scholars believe that according, uh, in the church in Rome, there was probably 60 to 100 Christians at that time, scattered about in, in homes throughout the city, who uh, sometimes maybe had a mechanism for gathering all together in larger groups from time to time. And so as he addresses them, we catch a very uh, unique glimpse into just the regular life of the early church and the early Christians and the roles that they play. Um, so a lot of this isn't very descriptive. If, if you know, if, if the, the people address, they would have known the details of all these stories, and I wish we had more details, but let's dive into this. So this is Paul, um, beginning in uh, chapter 16, verse 1. This is a word of the Lord. And again, we read this list. I want you to see yourself in these people because this is us. This is the people that God is using to expand his kingdom here on this world. So, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sinecre. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So this list of people that Paul addresses begins with a woman named Phoebe. Remarkable, remarkable woman. What was Phoebe's role? Well, she was a deacon in the early church. And more than likely, almost assuredly, she was the one that Paul entrusted with a letter. I mean, this is a handwritten letter. Cost Paul a lot of money to hire a scribe and get this letter down to this church in Rome. And he entrusted it to her to actually deliver by hand to the church in Rome. Now, uh, Paul was in Corinth at the time, and Sinarchi was a port city, or Sinecre, uh, was a port city about eight miles southeast from, call it downtown Corinth, in, in, in uh, modern Greece today. So in this period, uh, uh, Phoebe's uh, town would have been small, but really for a lot of the affluent people who had uh, influence and who had some wealth. And so this Phoebe was a, um, was a benefactor of many people. And that word means she was a financial supporter and she was a helper of many. That included Paul. This trip to deliver the letter would have been by boat and more than likely almost guaranteed she self-funded her own trip. Well, she went pretty expensive. And when she got there, more than likely, she gathered all the churches together, probably on a Sunday morning, and she read aloud, or rather performed, the letter of the Romans, because in those days, most people couldn't read, um, and everything written was meant to be read aloud. So this Phoebe probably has some charisma, too. So she gets the churches, all the people together in Rome, the Christians, and she performs. She reads aloud, in dramatic way, the letter to the Romans written by Paul. So this is the first name that he says, Phoebe, financial means, some probably adventurous spirit in her, and she had a hunger to serve other churches outside of her own. Now today, texting, email, YouTube, etc., this job has been kind of, you know, left um, back in history. We can text people who live in Rome right now and get there instantly in seconds. But maybe some of you this morning 
have served as a benefactor of others who are in need. Right? Maybe, maybe that's been part of your story. Maybe the Lord has blessed you with some extra means or maybe just giving you the, the stirrings of a heart to be generous towards those, those who are in need just like Phoebe. Maybe God has called you to do something adventurous or risky, even coming outside of this church and going to serve another church just like Phoebe did somewhere else. And opportunities for doing so will dramatically increase if the Lord does bring us into a group um, like the Vineyard with connections of the churches all over the globe. That who knows, the Lord could call one of you to go and to serve at one of them, right? Um, maybe some of you will find yourselves in the future taking on a serving this church to such a degree that you'll find yourself being a deacon, just like Phoebe was. This is a kind of crucial work that we're talking about here that this whole chapter is going to be full of. That's all we know of Phoebe's story. We're going to move on. Verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but the, all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. So who is Priscilla and Aquila? It was a husband and wife team that had met Paul when he was at Corinth some time before. This couple met Paul in Greece because all the Jews at that time were kicked out of Rome um, by Emperor Claudius, and until after he died, only then could they had returned. And that's when Paul met them. They were Jewish Christians. Apparently, this couple had left Corinth um, and returned back uh, to Rome at this time. Um, they were probably tent makers, like, just like Paul was. They made a lot of their own money making tents. And this kind of helps support their own ministry calling. They're mentioned many times in the New Testament. And this is probably the most famous instance of Priscilla and Aquila that we have in the book of Acts. This should be on the slide behind me here in Acts chapter 18. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, it's like northern Egypt, um, or northern Africa, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So that's what Priscilla and Quill were known for, mentorship, pulling another young budding, you know, person in Christ who has this hunger to teach and to preach. And he's like, look, your, your zeal is great, but what you're saying is a little sloppy here. Let's, let's talk. Let's work on this. Let's work on the things that you're, that you're talking about here. And also Paul says in verse four, they risked their lives for me. Oh, I'd love to know that story. How did Priscilla and Aquila risk their lives for Paul? We don't know. But that's the kind of people they were. They weren't just mentors and servants, man. They were sacrificially living for their friend Paul in his own ministry. They never wrote a book in the Bible, but their story reverberates throughout the centuries. Paul considered them co-workers alongside of himself. That's the nature of their work. It was serving others. They're making disciples of Jesus, serving the churches, and so forth, and sacrificially living. This kind of work is available to all of us here, all of us, to join in continuing the work that Priscilla and Aquila did. Let's keep moving forward. Verse five, the last half of verse 5. Greet my dear friend Epinitus, Epinitus, Epinus, Epinut, I don't know, I don't know. Sometimes Greek and Latin names get mixed, and I'm not even an expert in either language, so whatever. I'm just going to do the best I can. Um, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia? Greet Mary. That's an easy one. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. 
Epinetus. We don't know much about his story. There's anything beyond that speculation. But we have Mary here. There's a lot of Marys in the New Testament. No clue if this is one of the other ones or a whole different Mary. We don't know. But Mary worked hard for this church in Rome. Now, Paul used that phrase in one other place in the book of Colossians chapter 4 about a man named Epaphras. Um, he said in Colossians 4 that this Epaphras struggled in prayer on behalf of the Christians in the city of Colossae. And Paul identifies his work of struggling in prayer with the same phrase, he worked hard for you. Maybe this Mary was a, what we, you know, in, in church circles call a prayer warrior, Right? Maybe she was struggling behind the scenes praying for the church in Rome, but we don't know, but we do know she was a hard worker for this church. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Most people think this is another husband and wife team. And remarkably, Paul calls them apostles. This man and this woman, they were apostles with him. And what does that mean? It means that they actually were, were first-hand witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. And even more so, Paul says, when I was in jail, they were sitting next to me, right? So just a little side note, notice the importance of like men and, and women in this list. It's pretty remarkable. We have um, a woman apostle. It's kind of funny in early English translations of the Bible, People didn't know what to do with a woman apostle. So they actually changed her name to a man's name, Junaeus. And only later people are like, wait, this is a woman, not a man. Like, what happened? Right? But God uses male and female, man and women, for his grand work. We have a female apostle here. For another husband and wife team serving alongside of Paul, um, outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before he was. Verse 8. Greet Ampelitus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. More co-workers, more friends. We don't know anything else, but just assume, what do friends do? Mundane things. Being there for each other. Laughing together. Living life together, right? And Paul uses words like, my dear friend in the Lord. This guy, you know, Urbanus, my co-worker in Christ, he also, he labored alongside of me. And my dear friend, Stockies, we don't know these stories, but these are Paul's buddies, right? Verse 10, greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. What test? Again, I would love to know the stories. What did he endure? What test did he endure? And probably the way Paul phrases this, he didn't meet this guy yet, but he heard the story. The story I traveled around. It's like, did you hear about what that guy Apelles went through? The testing that he went through and how the Lord sustained it. Did you hear about that? It's amazing. That's what happens when, when one of you are tested and it's a struggle and the Lord sustains you. And we get to say, did you, did you hear what they went through and how the Lord sustained them? Like, I'm going through it now. Like, I think I need to call that person right now. And just hear their story of how God helped them through such a severe test and trial. I hope you see like this is kind of what happens amongst the church community, right? The Lord works in your life for the purpose that when you're really going through it and you're hungry, that person's life and their story and God's work in their life starts bleeding into your own. You guys tracking with us? All right. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. 
Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. And these are households mentioned. Um, for the nerds out there, go look at these names. These are, these are really important families. Like there's a whole story in ancient Roman lore about the household of Narcissus. And go look it up. It's fascinating. There were Christians in these households. And like all of Rome knew of these people's households. And the Lord has saved people inside of them. Interesting stories. You just wonder of, you know, the role that these new Christians had in such important families in the city of Rome. And how, how did that work, right? Um, how that play itself out, we don't know. But God saved them and called them. And that's what they, uh, the families they were a part of. And they were also a part of this church. The Lord calls any to himself that he chooses, right? In verse 12, greet Trophinia and Tryphosphia, those women who work hard in the Lord. More women, more women workers doing the work of the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. They have some hardworking women in this church, right? There's a whole bunch of them, right? You just got to wonder, like, what work did they do? Like, you know, when I, when I read the Bible, I like to ask questions when I read the Bible, right? And this chapter always driven me nuts because I'm like, just tell, their, like, tell me more. Like, what work did they do? Just to me, like a little adjective. What was it? We don't know. But their work was known, right? They knew how hard they labored for the churches. They knew it. The idea here, friends, is these are normal people. They had a role to play. And the encouragement is like, what work does God have for you amongst this church body? What work does he have for you in being an ambassador here for the gospel in Wilmington? And my favorite, verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. I want to name my son Rufus, and that was, I actually didn't. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who had been, who has been a mother to me. Now, who is Rufus? There's one of the Rufus mentioned in Mark chapter 15 as a son of Simon from Cyrene who helped Jesus to carry the cross. Is that the same Rufus? I don't know. We have no idea. But I love this part. His mother. We don't know her name. And Paul said, greet Rufus's mother who was also a mother to me. Anybody ever had a surrogate mom before? They're the best, aren't they? What's one of the best, what's, what's one of the things that surrogate mothers like to do for you? feed you. Yeah. They want to feed you. Like I remember when I, I was interning in Staten Island, New York at a church. I had like six Italian surrogate moms up there. And it was just great because every house I went to, every corner I turned, are you hungry? Are you hungry? And the answer at 18 years old is always yes, yes, yes. Of course I'm hungry. They fed me. They washed my clothes for me. I just took such good care of me, right? A Georgia boy in the city of New York that got robbed all the time, no idea how to navigate the city, and they were giving me the street wisdom, right? Like, don't, you don't do that. Like, you don't leave your car unlocked at night. It's just going to be gone, right? Like, they, they would help me out, right? Paul had a surrogate mother. And this is just so, I love this. It's just such an ordinary glimpse behind the curtain into Paul's life, into the early church life. Guys, every church needs somebody and a group of people who are willing to play that role because somebody will come along along in our ranks who doesn't have a mother in their life who actually needs that role filled women in the room is that you no matter how old or young you are like god may call you to that and it's a needed and necessary role in the work of the kingdom in this world 
Verse 14. These are some hard names here. We'll do the best we can. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with him. Greet Philogicus, Julia. Just think like George, Bob, you know, Linda. Like these are, these are normal people, okay? If you were alive then, you'd be like, oh yeah, Philogilus, how you doing? Julia, Nereus, and his sister Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the church of Christ sends greetings. Here's the point as we start wrapping up this sermon. We just walked through about 24 named people. And Rufus's mother, who was unnamed. And the broad range of the roles they played and the things that they did in the early church was mentioned. And I want to look at just a survey of some more names. A sermon full of names, and that's okay, because the New Testament has other names, and I just want to kind of broaden the horizons a little bit, because the whole, the next stage of us here at Emmanuel, and we're, we're calling all of us, we're praying, we're saying, Lord, like, what role can we equip the saints that you have gifted us at this church? What role do they have to, to play here? And how can we identify that and, and encourage that and train them, because The city needs a healthy, vibrant church full of hard workers. And God, I guarantee you, has work for you. And this is just one little part to help identify what that could be. So here's other really ordinary jobs in the early church that we have glimpses of elsewhere. Uh, Luke 8, 1 through 3. Again, more women here. Uh, Did you know Jesus was financially supported? Like people gave money to him to help him, you know, eat and do his travels, do his ministry in Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means." Again, people who the Lord gifted with wealth, and they in turn bless Jesus with it to support his ministry. All right, fast forward, we have Timothy. Timothy was a young church leader. How did he learn about Jesus? Let's look at this. First Timothy 1 through 5. This is Paul writing to Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well intergenerational discipleship, we call that, from grandmother to daughter, now to grandson and son. Ordinary work of spreading the good news of Jesus, and there it is. Again, see yourself in these names. Say, Lord, like, what are you stirring in my heart this morning, right? I want to just breeze through this, so who's doing slides? Good luck. I'll just want to breeze through this. Actually, no, 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 I did combine them all behind me, so don't, you don't have to read through them all, but you'll just see a lot of names behind me. Epaphroditus, Philippians 2.30, who nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in Paul's service to the churches. Iodia, Syntyche, uh, labored alongside Paul in the gospel, along with a man named Clement. Tychius, Onesimus, they were messengers to the church in Colossae, and they were faithful ministers and servants of the Lord, and they were sent to encourage this church in Colossae. Um, Aristocrus, uh, he was in prison with Paul, 
um, Mark, which was Barnabas's cousin. We have Jesus called Justice, and Paul talked about these Jewish Christians who have been around to give Paul comfort when he was in jail. Prison visits, and they encouraged him. Ordinary work, friends. Epaphras, that was a man struggling in prayer in Philippians for the churches in Laodicea and Hierapolis. We have Luke, who traveled extensively with Paul throughout his journeys, and he was also a doctor by trade. He was Paul's companion. We have Nympha, who was mentioned in Philippians 4 as a generous host of a church in her home, and probably another wealthy, influential woman. Um, so many names. Silas is mentioned. Lydia, who was hospitable for Paul. A nameless jailer who um, helped nurture Paul back to health. We have Jason and Dionysius and Apollo and Crispus and Sosthenes and Erastus who helped Pastor Timothy. Sopater, Secundus, Gaius, Trophimus, Tychius, Manason of Cyprus, Aeneas. All these people who hosted churches and, and served Christians. Fortunus, Achaeus, Erastus, Eubulus, Artemis, Zenus the lawyer. Sylvanus helped Peter write his first letter, um, his first, uh, the first Peter. Um, Gaius, uh, the apostle John attributed his third letter to him, wrote it to him. Um, uh, he said, Gaius, you're known for walking in the truth, and we're also encouraged by this. Um, I, there's more names that I'm not going to read through. These are the people that God used to build his church. First Corinthians. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So as we close today, just some, a couple of helpful things to note. So I hope you catch the spirit of a sermon like this. In the coming months, we're going to help you guys, all of you, like I mean it, all of you. We're going to do the work that requires us as leaders of this church. We're going to help each of you identify what role you have to play here at God's work through Emmanuel Church within our community. We truly believe the gospel is still good news, and he's alive and well. I had read a stat the other day that said there's about four. 4,500 churches closing a year in our country and only about 3,000 that are being planted and started anew. Okay? 4,000 cl- churches close every year. 3,500 or, th- or 3,000 opened. Those ratios aren't right. Right? That's not a sustainable future for the church in America. But here we are in Wilmington. What role do we have to play? What role do you have to play? Let's identify that. Let's pray about that. And we need to strengthen our community. Our brothers and sisters in Europe, which is a a post-Christian place, has been telling us Americans for years that the healing and and the, 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 the vehicle, the way in which the gospel is going to really take root into the next generation in our country is going to be what it has been in Europe for some time, which is through community and through friendship. Invitations to church, people, you know, if they're looking for hope to life, showing up in church building, like, there's going to be people who for generations, their parents and their parents' parents, like, just didn't have anything of Christian background knowledge, and the church is not going to be any option for them if they find themselves just at, at bottoms in here in their life. So how can we share the love of Christ? It's not going to be by sitting in a pew. It's not. It's going to be in our hands dirty. 
through befriending people, loving them, serving them, sacrificially. Just think of all the, all the roles and things we just write there, all those men and women and what they did in the early church. Like it's that kind of work that, that grew the church to begin with. Right? You can read about the early church. Like they would oftentimes be meeting in these, these buildings, I forget the name of. And um, they were these old, like residential kind of apartment buildings. And the top floor was usually the larger apartment, not on the bottom. I don't know why that was. But the wealthy people lived up top, and the not so wealthy people lived at the bottom. And so usually the larger room would have where the Christians would have their church services in the larger room. And so it was a very public place, these, these early apartment buildings. And so if there's a stream of people traveling up the stairs and traveling down the stairs and neighbors saw what was going on, like what, what's happening upstairs? Like what's going on? And the, all the scholars say, you know, the early church grew, it was, it was through the most ordinary of contact with their neighbors, just brushing shoulders with them. Like what's going on up there? Oh, let me talk about the Jesus we're worshiping. You want to come and join us upstairs? Like that was how things happen, friends. And so as we, as we explore this and talk about this, the third thing here is to pray, for you to pray. Because maybe you've been kind of sitting on, on the sidelines a bit. Maybe you had a season where you were just laboring so hard and you just got exhausted and you took a respite. And maybe the Lord is stirring to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of ready to, to jump back in this, you know. Um, maybe you're here and you're kind of new to Christianity. You just want to know, like, what, yeah, what, what are the gifts that God has given me? Like, what does he equip me with? Like, what, what role does he have in this, in this whole grand work of just sharing the good news of Jesus to our neighbors? We're fully convinced, fully convinced, and know that the Lord has work for this church to do here in this city. The good news is still good news for Wilmington, so the, 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 the end of this sermon is just a question. Will you pray? Will you pray and genuinely seek the Lord as to what that might be? I'm just a list. I know the list. I had a lot of lists in this sermon. So all the things that we're stepping into here that's happening here, there's an invitation to be a part of, right? Hosting or leading a life group, or just call it a mini church in your home, right? We need life group leaders. We need host homes. Ain't that right, Will? That's right. We need host homes. That's where stuff happens. We need leaders, Talk to Will if, you, if you're interested in those things. Helping us to get off the ground. This is a dream right now. But anybody who likes dreaming, and likes to make dreams come reality. I really want to open up a, a community center on our third floor where we get to pray for people, minister to them, and serve those with great needs here in our city. It's a very ambitious goal. If you like dreaming with us, come and help us make it a reality. That's a serious invitation. Bringing meals to the sick or those in difficult seasons in life. We have a meal ministry here. If you like cooking and feeding people, great. Jump in. Uh, praying for one another. We have a prayer ministry here. Visiting the sick when our members are in the hospital. Serving the youth in our youth ministry. Opening the, opening the door and greeting people on Sundays. It's like a tangible need here. Teaching and ministering to our children here at our, at our church. Rocking babies in our nursery to serve our young mothers who may need just a brief break to worship here on, in our sanctuary on Sundays. That's a real service, being married to a, a woman who had many young kids for a long time. That's a real, one of the most practical ways to serve a young mother. To say, can I, can I be with her baby for the next hour while you go and just be refreshed in the Lord? Joining others in ministering to those in nursing homes. Joining us early on Friday mornings to pray with the men here. To pray for uh, one another. 
be trained to run sound, help with PowerPoint slides, uh, all the various Bible studies, serve in our, in our food pantry, join the worship team, just inviting people into your home. I mean, there's so many ways. And so um, I'm going to call the worship team up at this time. Christina, where is she at? Call her up as well. Um, I'm just going to, I'm going to pray. <clears throat> Lord, I, I thank you for just the, the countless men and women. I mean, so many names for in the past 2,000 years all over the globe that ordinary people that you use for extraordinary things where they lift. And Lord, I pray that you would stir in the hearts of your people what you have for them, Lord. Lord, that you would continue to awaken this church, Lord, to the, the mission that lies before us, Lord, in this community. Lord, the gospel is such a still desperately needed. And Lord, would you equip us to be a church that is just sending people out for this mission, Lord. Maybe we just be strengthened as a community to, to love each other, to serve each other, and to uh, be able to invite our neighbors into this community to truly experience the love of Christ and hear about the good news of his forgiveness of sins. Would you stir right now in your people, Lord? Stir in their hearts what you have for them, what you are calling them to be. Help our leaders, us as leaders here in this church to, to equip, Lord, to be humble leaders who, who want to raise people up to even replace our own work here, to, 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 to send more people out here. Lord, would you equip us for those means, Lord? We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you are interested in us, Lord. You're interested in all of us, Lord. Use us, Jesus. That we humbly just be willing, sacrificially, to lay ourselves down and say, Lord, use me for your purposes, Lord. And let me pray this in your holy name. Amen.